the AI's job just in total is, and it doesn't matter how it gets done, it's to just help you do more of what you're really good at and what humans can do. You're listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. I'm Steve Gordon. For the first five years, this podcast was known as the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. The episode you're about to hear uses that name, but don't worry, you're in the right place. Same great content, new name. Enjoy. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and I got to tell you, I'm really excited for today's interview. If you've ever thought that AI might be a way to create some more leverage in your business, then uh, you're going to want to sit really close to your speaker for this. Uh, Today, I'm talking with Evan Ryan. He's the founder of Teammate AI, and he helps entrepreneurs scale their businesses using artificial intelligence. Uh, Teammate has launched and they've powered businesses such as uh, Lead AI and and Content X, which uh, uses AI to write, edit, and publish content, all without human intervention, which is totally amazing to me. Um, over the past five years, Teammate has helped hundreds of businesses save save millions of hours by using AI in everything from small tasks to really complex multi-day processes. And Evan spends most of his time trying to show entrepreneurs how to save time with AI, how to begin thinking about it. And we're going to talk about a lot of that today uh, so that you can start doing the things that that you should be doing as a human and the computer can do the things that it's great at. So I'm excited to have you here, Evan. This is going to be a lot of fun. Welcome. Thanks so, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So give us a little bit of background just about you so we, we understand kind of your context, how you got to the stage of your career. Um, how you kind of became a, an AI expert. Yeah, so uh, I should definitely start by saying I come from a family of, of entrepreneurs. And I come from a family of people who have a mindset of find the thing that you're passionate about and then just spend your time doing that. Um, so my parents are both that way. My aunts and uncles, all of my grandparents were that way. So it's kind of been ingrained in me from the very beginning to only do the things that you're really passionate about and to get really good at the things that you love to do. Um, when I was in college, I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I know I wanted to help people and I know I was good at science, but I actually had a note from my advisor in, at Ohio State. Uh, the first day before freshman year, which was Evan does not want to be a doctor, but I was a neuroscience student and I had uh, really kind of no plans for what I wanted to do after that. I just stuck with neuroscience because I thought studying the brain will probably be useful somewhere. And as I progressed on, I started to enjoy business more and more and more. Uh, But right before the 2016 election, I went to a conference where they had the number one ranked AI researcher in the world. They actually rank. His name's Jeremy Howard. And he was talking about all the things that you could do with AI in 2016. And the thing that stuck out the most to me was that you could have an AI, and they actually had this company that could do this. You could have an AI that could look at the scans of cancer and better correctly diagnose cancer than a team of board certified doctors. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, but like, if you can do that now, imagine what you're going to be able to do in 2050. So after that, and combined, I think, quite a bit with my upbringing, I decided to start an AI company that helped free people up from doing boring stuff. Um, I don't really know anybody who wakes up on a Monday morning and says, oh boy, I can't wait to do boring stuff all day. And so I think for us, 
our real focus is on how can we offload all the stuff that's so, so boring and, and tedious and mundane so that you can really focus on the creative things that you like to do um, and that really bring you energy every day. Yeah, you know, I, I love the way that you you kind of phrase that, that this is to to kind of automate and get rid of the boring stuff because there is this fear in a lot of people that AI is going to come and take their job. And uh, I've read your book, fantastic book, um, and and you take a very different approach in the way that that you're looking at things. So kind of help us understand what are, just so people kind of have a basis of this, because there are a lot of people who are going to be listening who maybe haven't thought that much about AI. What are some of the sorts of things that that you routinely employ AI to do today? Yeah, so... Uh, Just today, I had an AI tell me that a podcast episode was released and that I should publish it on social media. Um, All the time, we use AI to write marketing copy for us using tools that, by the way, are available for like $30 a month. We use AI to build our entire website. So we had a human design it and a human do the creative for it. And then a human, and then an AI actually built it and made it so that it works on mobile and on tablet and on, and on desktop. We released code today for a few of our products and we used AI to test all of that code for us so that we didn't have to do anything with it. Um, we have AI that helps us take transactions that take place from Stripe or from Facebook and it puts it automatically into QuickBooks for us. And it sends us an email saying something good happened. Last week, we used AI to send a contract. It was kind of like a DocuSign situation, but instead of taking hours and hours to send a contract, it took us, I think, 35, 45 seconds to send the whole contract and prepare it. And then, by the way, when the contract was signed, it sent us a notification saying it was signed and it progressed uh, through further through our accounting department and through our product delivery department. So we're using AI in all sorts of different areas of our business. Um, we think of it like electricity, which is that it doesn't kind of do its own thing. It just helps all the other things happen better. Um, but that was just the stuff that I can think of in the last few days. It's so interesting to me that you describe all of that as AI. That's a lot, a lot of the stuff you describe is automation that I know internally we've been doing for a long time, but I never thought about it in those terms. And I think it's useful to shift and think about it in those terms because it, I think it opens up now a level of confidence working with AI. You don't have to think, well, I got to have a computer science degree to make all this stuff work. That it, There's actually some really basic stuff that's accessible to me today. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think a lot of people think AI and they think self-driving cars or they think Facebook or they think Google and they think, well, I need to have a team of a thousand engineers or 10,000 engineers that are working on this thing in order to be able to build AI. Well, that's not my business or even I don't run a software business, right? So therefore AI is not for me. But I think the question most people is how do you define AI? Like, what is AI? And, and a lot of times when I ask that, I get a lot of blank faces. But the way that we define it is we just define it as data with a task. So it's not necessarily complicated neural networks and machine learning and unsupervised learning or convolutional neural nets or, or GANs or RNNs or all sorts of different crazy things. It's, it's just taking data that you have on your computer or in the cloud or on your phone or wherever it might be, and we're giving it a job to do. So instead of you doing the job with the data, the data just does the job on its own. 
you know, it, it was just popped into my head. Uh, maybe a better term for it is AA. I know mean, there's another context for that, but artificial action. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually that's actually a really great term that I might use um, because really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the AI is. It matters that the job gets done. So don't we want it to get done? Don't we want it to get done the fastest and the easiest way possible? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think kind of your your beginning premise is the key here is to do the stuff that is mundane and repetitive and very predictable to free up all of the very expensive and intelligent humans to do their thing and be free of, of that mundane activity. I mean, there's, I, I, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm all, if on the Colby, I'm an eight quick start. I don't like doing the same thing twice if I don't have to, you know, particularly if there's no creativity to apply to it. So using automation for, for me personally has been enormous because I can look at something and go, all right, well, there's something we're going to do three times a week. And if I figure out how to automate it now and it takes me 90 minutes, that's three times a week. I never have to think about this again, you know, and much less if it's every day, multiple times a day. Right. That's exactly right. And I think there's a real, there's a real kind of unspoken benefit in the out of sight, out of mind kind of component where you just don't have to think about it. Like what if you went from doing a hundred low value tasks in eight hours to doing like five really high value tasks? Like what would that do to your P and L? Yeah. Really? Yeah. The other thing too is, you know, when, when something gets automated, especially for us, we like to automate the business critical components because if it's business critical, we want it to get done the same way every single time. So we want to automate that as much as we possibly can and take the humans out of it. The humans then can work on non-critical components that are things that are like moving the business forward, things that are new products or new offers or, or new pro- or new customer segments. But the stuff that really matters, the stuff that we want to make sure runs every day, we want to be as automated as possible. And so the question that I often ask is as a business owner, I'll ask you this question, as a business owner, what would it do for you to know that you could go on a two-week vacation to Europe and completely sign off and everything that was mission critical or 80% of what was mission critical was being, being taken care of by a computer. Like what would that do to your confidence? Oh, you, you'd walk away and not have to worry nearly as much. I mean, if, if all you've got to do is have someone there to monitor those processes, you know, and maybe contribute the 20% that a, a human being has to contribute, you, you can walk away and, and sleep well at night knowing that everything's running. Right. And then on top of that, the second order effect is not only are you sleeping well while you're on your European vacation, but let's imagine the person who does the 20%, it leaves. Well, now you rehire, but you only have to train for that 20%. Mm -hmm. Right. And so everything else is happening like clockwork. It never takes a vacation. It never takes a day off. It never gets sick, anything like that. It just works all the time. That's really what I think we want to get to as a company, because for us, that means that we have total peace. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knowing well, that I, the status quo is maintained. And, you know, the other thing that happens, I mean, this is a really practical problem that happens in businesses all the time. When that key person, and sometimes, it, you know, the key person isn't high up in the chain, but they just have an important function that's been done manually for a long time, right? And that key person goes on vacation. 
And now it's passed off to somebody else internally who's now trying to do it on top of their job, which is a, you know, a, a resource allocation issue. But beyond that, I, I can almost guarantee that there are nuances to that process that the key person has developed and never communicated. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so there's always that that person comes back and they're they're upset because, you know, whoever took it over for them didn't pick up the nuances. Well, they were never taught, but, you know, it wasn't done just right. So now they've got cleanup to do and you're eliminating all of that and you're forcing yourself to go through and document all those nuances at the same time. So now you've got a documented, automated business. Right. Right. On top of that, you as a business owner, I think it's not a situation that I like to think about or I like to talk about, but it is one that I see happens a lot. As a business owner, when you start to automate more and more things, your employees can't hold you quite as hostage. Like one of the things that I've seen happens a lot is, you know, a business owner has a bigger future for the company, but the employees actually hold the business owner hostage. And the processes, those nuances don't ever get documented. The cross training doesn't happen like you want it to. People take vacations and balls get dropped. And by the way, when people take vacations, that's normally what I find when I find bad things happen. It's like bad things never happen on just like a regular day. They always seem to happen like while you're trying to close the big deal, it's going to make your quarter and you want to go on vacation and, 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 and. Whereas when things get automated, a lot of those problems get solved or at least partially mitigated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's always the day before the vacation. Right. Um, actually happened, happened to me. We're recording this um, right after a long weekend. It happened to me on Friday before the long weekend. Oh my God. Uh, and an automation broke. And uh, every now and then that, that sort of thing does happen. So talk about that a little bit because, you know, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. We've been using some of the no code tools for a long time internally. And every now and then something will break. Um, a lot of the time I find that it's, it's still a human breakdown. Like if I've tried to automate something or something on the team tried to automate something, there was a, maybe a scenario that we didn't account for that has now cropped up. You know, how do you how do you begin to take sort of regular people and get them thinking almost like a programmer? Because you have to do some of that. Yeah. So I remember when Facebook was starting to scale real big, somebody asked Mark Zuckerberg, what's it like? You know, what's it like to, to scale a company, to lead a company that's growing this fast? And he said, well, you know, I, I kind of miss coding because I'm sure I'm misquoting this, but you're going to point. I kind of miss coding because... Uh, computers do exactly what you tell them to do and humans don't, right? And, and normally I talk about that in the context of, in the context of why you should automate, but there, truthfully, there's nothing that makes me an ax murderer faster than technology that doesn't work as it's intended to. Um, to, to answer, to answer your actual question, which is how do you, how do you kind of help employees think in more of a, a logical pattern to make things more automated? What we found is that it's not that useful because then things like the situation that you had pop up where um, you don't see all the corner cases or there isn't a flag that that kind of gets raised saying, uh oh, we might have a problem here before the problem actually becomes a problem. Um, so what we found is that taking people who are maybe who are a little more technical or trained coders, but maybe they don't like to code kind of like a half developer, half operations person and putting them in that specialized role that helps everybody is a lot more useful because 
they're able to kind of use their expertise, use their knowledge, and you're not trying to train marketing folks, for example, how to do low level and or if then else type logic. Um, so we find it to be a who not how problem. And, and it's not one that we recommend necessarily just training everybody for. Um, in that case, I do think kind of don't try to teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, because the the kind of low code, no code propaganda, let's say that's out there, you know, from the companies that are making those tools are that that anybody can do this. And it is very, very easy to do. But we have run in, I mean, we've been doing it long enough to know that if you don't sort of think through what are all the the oddball cases that are going to come through and how do we account for them, then you certainly will have one come up at the most inopportune time. Guaranteed. Right. You still, I think you still, those no code tools and even like the Zapiers of the world, I love Zapier. Yeah. Um, but all of those kind of like visual automation or, or visual software tools, I think still require some sort of a software mindset. They just don't require a hundred dollar an hour, $200 an hour software developer. Right. Um, so I think there does need to be a separation there. Otherwise, you don't build the proper test cases. The proper test cases lead to the problem that you had on Friday when all you really want to do is go sit outside and enjoy a long weekend. Yeah, exactly. I was actually, we were already traveling. So I was talking someone through the fix over the phone, which I haven't had to do in a long, long time. All right. So we've got all these tools and you've talked about looking at the core functions of the business. Is there a particular place that you generally start? I mean, do you start with like finance? Do you start in marketing? Is there a pattern to how you begin to help a company through this? Uh, yes, but we don't start in a particular like kind of vertical. Where we start is we start by asking the question, either what is your highest turnover position and why is it the highest turnover? Hmm. A lot of times it's high turnover either because people were improperly trained or because the work isn't enjoyable. And so we'll start to try to pick off, well, what are all the tasks that this person does? Okay, let's try to automate some of the most repeatable tasks. We'll start small and we'll make it bigger. That way, instead of trying to hire for that same role over and over again, if you automate enough of it, then you can actually adjust what the role is, hire a different mindset, and you might increase your success rate. Or we'll start by just by asking, what's the thing that you hate to do the most? Know? What's the task that you hate to do the most? That way you can feel the power of the automation, feel what it's like when the computer just kind of does it for you. Or who's the person on your team that is, um, that is the most underutilized? Great, let's talk to them and figure out the tasks that they hate most. And one, if they have a list of 100 tasks that they hate the most or 1,000 tasks that they hate the most, then we'll say, let's talk about which ones take you the most time. We'll start with the ones that take the most time and then we'll go from there. But where we start is just on a simple likes and dislikes. I mean, it's easy to say, okay, here's a great marketing, copywriting AI tool. Um, here's a great finance AI tool. Here's a great graphic design AI tool or, or anything else that you might wanna do. Uh, I think the harder problem to solve is actually understanding what you wanna spend your time doing and really acknowledging and accepting the fact that some things in your day-to-day -day, you really don't like doing well yes and and you can get them off your plate and and i think that's the key is to begin to recognize those things um if you're guiding somebody through this where are the where are the pitfalls where are the potholes that they should avoid what what should they be thinking about and looking for the biggest traps uh the biggest trap is the one that we've already talked about which is that if you're trying to teach 
um, somebody with no software experience, somebody who, where you had to actually, if you had to train somebody how to use their email, they should not be trying to build an automation, right? There is a level of core competency that needs to, that somebody needs to have in order to be able to build automations. Otherwise, it's best to just hire them somebody who can, who can do that for them. Um, the second biggest pitfall in automation is also what you talked about, which is, you know, you don't have the proper test cases. You don't, you don't have the, you haven't really thought through all of the corner cases. One of the things that we recommend is we recommend when you're thinking about building an automation, do that same task manually 15 times. And if you can do it 15 times in a row, you're probably in a pretty good place to set up the automation. But if you can't do it 15 times in a row and never change anything, you're probably not in a very good place because you haven't thought through all the corner cases. So there, with that, I definitely recommend the prescription be just do it by hand a bunch of times and make sure you think about every different situation. Oh, well, when this happens, we have to do this. Yeah. Or when that happens, we have to do that. Um, the third is, this is a really big one, change management. Um, a lot of times when executives, when entrepreneurs try to introduce AI and automation into their workforce, it is greeted uh, not pleasantly with quite a bit of hostility. Um, people don't think about AI being a tool to help them achieve their bigger future. And everybody has a list of things that they would do if they had more time. Mm -hmm. But it's very difficult to visualize how they will get more time. And so the reason that we actually start with well, what do you hate the most is because it overcomes the change management problem. People are really open to AI and to automation if it helps them enjoy their life more. And so those are kind of the three big things. After that, we find that it can be relatively easy. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So uh, as somebody's beginning to, you know, they're listening to this, maybe they go get your book, they're starting to put this together. And, you know, they're looking at some of these early sort of things that they can do. Are there particular tools that you find people start with first? I mean, I know you guys kind of go from that, that very kind of beginning level of just automation all the way through, you know, helping people scope out and develop full AI, you know, engines to, to drive things on a custom basis. So where do they, where do most companies tend to start from a, a tool perspective? Most companies will start with copywriting, writing marketing copy. So copy.ai or copysmith.ai. I'm not affiliated with either of these companies. I just use them. Um, and what it does is it just eliminates some of the work for your marketing department, whether it's websites or social media or ads or whatever kind of marketing copy you're looking to write. It doesn't do all the work for you. Like there are still bugs. There are still problems with the copy, but it does simplify 80% of it. And it turns you into an editor instead of into a writer. Uh, you and I spoke about this previously. Otter.ai. We think otter.ai is fantastic. I used it to help write my book. Um, and just starting to record your meetings and starting to have those transcripts available in order to be able to uh, reference them later. The a feeling of knowing that the AI is taking the notes for you. And so you don't need to kind of focus your attention on taking notes. And instead you can focus on the meeting that you're currently in. I find to be really valuable. Mm -hmm. Third, we definitely use 
Zapier all the time. Uh, the automation I was talking about earlier, which allowed me to know that a podcast had been released, even though I didn't do the, the work for it. Um, that was a simple connect an RSS feed into an email on Zapier. So it doesn't take a lot of technical expertise in order to be able to do something like that. Uh, but we use that all the time. I think um, using the project management tools, for example, that you already have. So using a Monday.com or an Asana or a Trello or even Microsoft Excel, if that's what you use, and connecting that to a Google form mm -hmm. and saying, every time we get a new customer, send them this Google form and then we'll input the data the customer uh, setup form, whatever whatever your company uses or whatever um, any listener's company uses, and then take all that information and put it into Trello or Asana or Monday.com. We think those are really useful. And that's a lot where people start is they start just by trying to eliminate emails. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they move on to bigger and better automations. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what haven't we covered? Uh, you, you're, you've, you've got so much experience in this. What haven't I asked you that is important? What have, what have we left out? There are so many places to go. The first is I'll, I'll say what I call like a stupid little tool. I call it stupid because like, why didn't I think of that? Um, one tool that I just think is so useful is I find, I went through and I monitored all the emails that I sent. And I find that there are like eight or nine different emails that I send all the time. Like, Hey, checking in, what's the status here kind of emails or just wanted to bump this up. How about next week when we're like talking about scheduling a meeting, things like that. Um, one thing that I found was really useful was I saved all of that text as email signatures. So instead of typing it out all the time, I just click into the email signature, it pastes it into the body of the email and I hit send. You know, it's kind of dumb, but it saves you five minutes here or 10 minutes there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and that... That alone, for a lot of people, will totally, <laughs> totally save. It'll pay for their the, the time they've spent listening to the podcast. So, another one that I the, that I use. This is like such a simple little like automation, uh, but it works so unbelievably well. Is I created a folder. Actually, my my former assistant created a folder in my email inbox called My Eyes, and in the My Eyes folder. Um, that was basically a highway. So our key customers, my key employees, people where I want to see their email right away and I never want it to get lost. They had rules that set up in my, in my email. It said like, when I receive an email from X person, move it into my eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, what did that do? I maybe have 20 or 25 people that are like that. What it did was it allowed me to check my inbox, which gets flooded by spam and marketing and all sorts of stuff all the time, once a day. But check the My Eyes folder five times a day. And I calculated it saves me about five hours a week. That plus the email signature saves me about five hours a week. It's un unbelievable. Um, but to answer your question, you know, what haven't you answered, I think, or what haven't you asked, I think... What are the questions that you're wondering right now about AI? What are the what are the things that you think about when you either read about it in the news or or you're thinking about how can I get more leverage in my world? Well, so we're we're pretty well versed in automation and have been. Um, I'm always finding new ways to do it. And it, it you know, I find it takes kind of that programming mind a little bit. Um, and I, I did some, some coding early on in my career. So I 
you know, I know how to think through that stuff, but if you asked me to actually write code right now, I would both hate it and not be very good at it. Um, but thinking through the logic of, you know, I'm going to take an input here. I'm going to take it through a, a series of steps and a process to change the data or send it somewhere and have something else happen. You know, that kind of logical thinking I'm, I'm really familiar with. So we're always looking for, for ways to improve there, but I'm seeing more and more that there are kind of a class of, of bigger use cases, you know, so we write books for clients, we produce podcasts for clients, beginning to use AI to clean up audio on a podcast or to write the show notes, or at least a first draft, um, you know, to, to be able to use it to even write books. And I know we're experimenting with, with things now, and there are some great tools for that. Um, you know, Google's dictation and Google Docs is phenomenal. And Otter AI is fantastic. And then some of the copywriting tools can sometimes help fill in the blanks. So we're looking at how do we use those in combination? You know, we're, we're always kind of looking to see where is that going to go next so that we can help our clients get the message that's in their head out and do that most effectively. I think one of the things that, that I think about there, because the truth is I don't know what's coming next. I mean, there are so many new releases of products and platforms and software every single week that it's kind of anybody's guess what will come next. But I think in the macro, my response there is that I think that you're right on the money. And the question that I would ask is, what do you think if you were to sell the business, if you were to install a bunch of AI, and so software was doing so much of this, or was doing 50, 60, 70, 80% of your critical tasks, even helping you write books or doing all of your uh, podcast editing and writing the show notes, that kind of a thing. What would that do to the multiple that you sell it at? Well, I, I think that depends. So if you've paired a unique process to the application of the AI, I think it adds a ton. If it's just a collection of the tools, anybody can go do it. And I think that's that's the piece where I, I've had to spend the most time thinking. I think that's the piece a lot of people struggle with because you have to be doing some value add on top of what the computer is doing for you. Mm -hmm. You know, like with books, with AI, we know that our process for organizing the book, for creating a persuasive sort of storyline through the book that, you know, because these are all nonfiction business books, that's going to take a, you know, a reader who's the future client of that author's, you know, from point A to point B, where they, at the end of that, they want to hire that, that person, it's going to be really difficult for an AI to craft that story arc. There needs to be some pre-work to seed the computer with, right? Well, we've got a great process for that. So now maybe, maybe that's where we come in and we're able to marry the AI with it. But I think for, for everybody listening, it's that same sort of thing. Like, where's the secret sauce, the creative part that, that you as the human running the business have pulled together? And that's the piece that's valuable when combined with these tools. That's what I think, too. And I think, I think that you're exactly right there. The benefit of the AI doing kind of everything that's not the secret sauce in the middle is that you get to make the secret sauce a hundred times better, right? Or a hundred times faster, or, um, or you get to really extract all the value that you possibly can out of it. And that's what I think buyers are buying. Just everything else you just need to do in order to be able to do the secret sauce. 
Yeah, I mean, that's always what they've been buying. You know, they've been buying that unique approach. And that's the only way that in a world that is fully commoditized, and we're in a fully commoditized world now, it's the only way in that kind of a world that you can actually differentiate and build a business that grows. And most business owners, I don't think, spend enough time on figuring out that secret sauce. And that's, to me, that's the most exciting thing about this technology is that it it frees you up to just spend time thinking about how do I make the this process better and better and better. And I, you know, and I take these tools as components, as black boxes and reconfigure them in different ways creatively to improve the result or improve the experience, you know, however you want to describe that. But uh, to me, that that's what's so interesting about all of this. Well, and I'll ask you when you, like when you started the business, is that the same thing that you were excited about then? Just with less knowledge? You mean doing that kind of creating that, that secret sauce? Yeah, of course. That's why we, I think that's why every business owner gets into it. I mean, I, we have this, this term we use called uh, opinionated worldview. And I believe that everyone who ever starts a business they were working for somebody at some point and they looked at that guy and they said, I can do it better. They had some opinionated view of the world that they wanted to go and execute on because they thought it was better. That's the secret sauce. That's at least the seed of it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And I think kind of like taking us all the way back to just the beginning of mindset of AI There's when one of the things that I learned when I started a business was there's the stuff that you do and sell, and then there's just a ton of other stuff, like just chores and other stuff that you never think about that you have to do in order to be able to do the thing that you actually want to do. And the question I ask is, well, what if we could just get rid of all that? In the past, you got rid of all that by hiring people. And at some point you hire enough people that you you made it so all you did was that secret sauce. But what if you just get rid of all of it with a computer? Mm Mm-hmm. It'd be unbelievable. Yeah. Well, what did uh, Peter Drucker say that the only profit centers in a business are marketing and innovation or the only role of a business is marketing and innovation. Everything else is an expense. I've never heard that before, but I love it. It's not the exact right quote, but it's roughly that idea. And what if you could take your business and make it 80% or 90% gross margin with a hundred percent gross fund? Yeah. I mean, so how have you applied this in your own business, other than some of the things that we've talked about? Uh, have, you, have you guys begun to apply some of these, the, the higher end uses of AI where it is actually applying not just action, but intelligence? No, we haven't. Uh, we, we apply a little bit of intelligence, but not enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, let me tell you a really interesting use case. And I'll tell you why. Most of the higher level intelligence that comes from AI is predictive analytics. It's, you've seen all these different things that have happened in the past. Okay, great. What's this thing in the future? Now, or here's a new version of this of this thing. What do you think it is? Now, we've applied that for our customers before. Um, we've applied it for our customers several times. But in our world, we try to simplify as much as possible. Um, and so we don't use a lot of predictive analytics in our world. We're not... We're not necessarily like a full-blown software as a service type of a company right now. What we like to do is we like to just simplify down to a robotic process and automate. I'll give you an example. We, when we were working with a customer who wanted us to write uh, newspaper articles using AI, there was nothing that had been done before that was anywhere close to what we were trying to do. So what we decided to do is we decided that we were going to build an algorithm that could write a newspaper article 
that algorithm was then going to write so many articles that we would use that to, to, to train an algorithm that would become like a predictive analytics, kind of it's writing on its own sort of a thing. And within six weeks, not only had we written the original code, so now we could write a newspaper article using code, but we had published twice as many articles on behalf of the newspaper as they had published the entire previous season. This was for high school football. We never got to the point where we needed the predictive analytics or we needed the really complicated stuff. Now with some customers, you do need that because with some customers or with some problems that you're trying to solve, you do have a huge backlog worth of data and you're looking to understand more about the future. But what we found is that a lot of times you don't need that kind of, you don't need that kind of code. A lot of times you just need one really smart developer who is capable of simplifying what you're doing down and handing it off to a computer. Yeah, I, I think that's actually really encouraging. And I think it's also instructive. Uh, you know, the predictive analytics piece of this requires as an input massive amounts of data. And there are probably just a small minority of businesses in the world that own that massive amount of data or have any need for it. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, for most of the folks listening, they're running small businesses, they're running consulting firms or, you know, law firms or accounting firms where they can make massive use of much of what we've talked about, but they'll never have the kind of data volume that, you know, you could use to kind of create that predictive model. Um, I think that's actually really encouraging. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, he's asked me this question. No, we haven't used it, but I actually think that's, that's the magic of it. Like AI is not coming to get us all. It's here to help. And, the tools are here and it's, it's, you know, for most of us, it's going to be about how can we leverage that to take actions off of our plate? Right, right. The, the AI's job just in total is, and it doesn't matter how it gets done. It's to just help you do more of what you're really good at and what humans can do. That way the computer can do more of what the computer is good at. Uh, the delivery mechanism or the way that you do that thing, I don't think really matters. Um, so we try to not use, actually, we actively try to not use like true predictive analytics, AI type uh, machine learning or deep neural nets or computer vision or all of that kind of thing as much as we can, because we just think it's harder, it's more expensive and, and why bother when we could do it another way. Of course, there are some times where you can't get around it, but I think what people really need is they really need a simple answer. And most of the time, the simple answer is buried in uh, and whatever your standard operating procedure is. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been amazing. Um, I thank you for uh, investing a little bit of time with me to to go through all of this. I think this is important for, um, you know, for most business owners who maybe aren't thinking about this day in, day out to be exposed to. But for those who have started experimenting with it, I think you've given them a, a way forward, a, a way to begin kind of moving ahead with it. Tell us a little bit about what um, what you guys are doing in the company. Tell us about the book and, and, and where folks can, can find you and get in touch with you. Yeah. So you can get the book AI is your teammate on Amazon or at automationsecrets.teammateai.com. Uh, what we do is we help companies identify where they can automate processes. And then we help map out exactly what that automation would look like. Um, from there, we can build it or we'll give you the exact plan to have your own team build it for you. That way you can start to take more and more items off of your plate 
and you can start to regain that time back to focus on the things that push the business forward in a way that's really meaningful for you. Uh, but you can find us at teammateai.com. You can find the book AI is your teammate on Amazon. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Great book. I highly recommend that you, you know, for everybody listening, go read it. Um, it will give you a, I think a great overview and, and a good perspective on how to begin using these tools inside your business. So Evan Ryan, thank you so much for uh, being here and uh, investing some time with me. This has been fantastic. Thanks for having me, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. Here are three ways you can expand your authority. Number one, get a copy of the Million Dollar Book. In it, I show you how to multiply your authority by writing a best-selling book in less than 90 days guaranteed. After all, you're the best spokesperson for your ideas. Go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash book and get your copy. Number two, join me for an upcoming Write Your Million Dollar Book Accelerator and let's jumpstart your authority building book now. For upcoming dates, go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash accelerator. And number three, work with me and my team to get your book done and bringing in business. Email me at steve at authoritybuilderpodcast.com and put, I want to write a book in the subject line. See you soon.